Hello and welcome to Planet Wool, a podcast from the International Wool Textile Organization. We would like to say thank you to the Australian Wool Innovation and the Woolmark Company for supporting the production of this podcast. Australian Wool Innovation and the Woolmark Company, owned by and working for Australian wool growers across research, development and marketing of the world's greatest fibre. At Planet Wool, we bring you a series of wool industry experts from the 85th Congress of the International Wool Textile Organization. The speaker of this episode is Dr. Paul Swan, General Manager of Research at the Australian Wool Innovation. He will talk about the evolving producer landscape, challenge and change. Enjoy Dr. Paul Swan from the Australian Wool Innovation. Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for the opportunity to address you. It's been a wonderful uh, congress. It's um, uh, congratulations to the organisers, particularly the organising committee. Um, this presentation marks the start of the last formal day of the congress. Um, in this session, um, we have Clint Laurent, who's come down from London to give us a presentation. Clint's one of our, I guess, the world's foremost consumer market demographers, and Clint and I are going to do presentations which focus on alternately the far end of the pipeline in Clint's. I'm going to talk about some of the challenges and opportunities over the coming decades, if you like, at the near end of this pipeline for Australian growers, which is the farmer landscape, and talk about some of the, I guess, the challenges that face us, but also some of the opportunities. In doing that, I'm going to connect what I talk about to some of the presentations that you've already heard over the last two days. We've seen some wonderful presentations, And so this will hopefully contextualise um, not only those individual pieces of work, but also the strategy that uh, AWI as a company, Woolmark as a business, and that the industry tend to follow. I'll start with a, a question about what are the ingredients for a vibrant and productive industry? Because that's certainly a, a challenge that, that faces us, all of us, and it's um, a vital interest to us all. Um, and particularly, what do we need to do now that will, in effect, make the environment much more positive, much more vibrant and attractive to that next generation of farmers? So they're my two sons on a farm in New Zealand. And so one of the questions that I'd have and I pose as a, a professional in this industry is what will make those two boys want to invest their careers in this industry, the next generation? And I know for a lot of you that are landholders, It confronts you. So let's talk about vibrant first. So vibrant, uh, let's define it as that it's attractive to capital investment. An industry that's vibrant has people wishing to invest in it. Basically, that means that the prospects for long-term return on investment are there. So whether you're investing in a, a spinning plant or a weaving factory, or whether you're investing in a, a property or some irrigation infrastructure, you will make a return on investment. But also, vibrant as an industry means that it's, it, it's attractive to the next generation. We can recruit the next generation. They want to invest their careers in our industry, which basically means you need to have rewarding career prospects, but also family prospects. Um, let's talk about productive. Let's define productive. So in essence, for this presentation, I'll define it that the, the return on investment that you get is is high, it's attractive. The use of the capital is productive. 
And in the case of agriculture, that means basically you're getting a good return on your investment relative to rainfall, but also other land uses. Because we compete for land use. We compete with other applications. And if it's productive and it's attractive to investment, then you tend to lead to people wanting to invest their careers and their money in it. So these, uh, this issue of being attractive to investment is critical for all of us. And it's a challenge that faces whether you're a rancher in Wyoming or a farmer like you, um, like Ben Watts yesterday uh, speaking near Orange. Same challenge. So to be vibrant, productive and wool, it requires both clear and preferential demand for wool and our sheep meat outputs, but also that the farmers have the tools and attitudes to achieve cost-effective productivity growth. But it's not only the farmers too. If you think of Chungai Wang's presentation yesterday, the sorts of advances in spinning, offset spinning for example, which can lead to dramatic improvements in yarn um, evenness and hairiness or lack of hairiness. One thing for us is that our proteins, our protein uh, is rare and it's expensive to produce. You saw in Bruna Angel's presentation um, how wool fits in a global context. We are about 1, 1.3% of the supply. So we are a tiny natural fibre in a sea of cheap competition. If we look over the coming decades, and I'll show you here some data from FAO, and what it shows you is the number of sheep on the planet. Uh, back to when I was, I was a student on a wool scholarship back then in 1990, we had a thing called a reserve price scheme. The red is the number of people on the planet. There are about five and a quarter billion people on the planet. Well, there's now over seven billion people on the planet, but the number of sheep has largely unchanged. The projections into the future by 2050, so if we turn the clock about 25 years or 35 years down the, uh, into the future, there'll be about 9 billion people on the planet. There'll be roughly 9 people for every one sheep. The implications for us are that mass-produced factory fibres, like cotton essentially, or man-made fibres, and mass-produced meat, uh, chicken, pork, will increasingly dominate supply. They already do. Okay, so one of the things that I'll, I'll speak to, and I know Clint will speak to, is this concept that we're a niche. But we're a niche that actually has been doing quite well in some respects. What this overhead shows you, and this is an Australian context, it shows you the value or the wealth of our industry. Back to that 91, 92 period. And it shows you how much Australia has earned from its sheep meat, which is red, and its wool, it's blue, um, over those 25 odd years. One thing you should notice is we've added about 50%, we've increased the value of our industry by about 50% over that period. We've added about a one and a half billion Australian dollars. And the prospects are, given sheep meat prices and wool prices, that that will remain. It's largely been driven by the, we've, we've generated, we've developed a major export industry for our lamb. That's what's driven the value growth in the meat sector. But if we transplant over the top of that, the number of sheep in Australia. 
we've added a billion and a half dollars from less than half of the sheep. It's quite extraordinary. When you think of it on a per head basis, the, the value that the industry is generating per head has, has risen dramatically. So let's express this in terms of the, the wealth or the value per head over that period. A number of you, when I look around the room, uh, uh, will remember and probably took part in the period when we had the stockpile. Um, uh, it was a brutal time for all of us. Um, in the late 90s, people were shooting sheep because they couldn't afford to sell them, which was, it was a terrible time for both the processing uh, fraternity but also the farmers. What's happened since then, since we got rid of the stockpile, is that the average value of a fleece per sheep has grown by about 4.5% per annum. The meat income per sheep has grown about 6% per annum and the combination about 5%. It's actually doubled in value. So we've gone from roughly uh, $35 or $40 of value per head to nearly 80 in the space of 15 years. And it's no wonder in Australia at the moment it will cost you between $150 and $200 to buy a good sheep or a lamb. And it's just like buying shares in the stock market. The, the price depends on their earnings. Well, sheep are earning lots of money. But this makes it very difficult for farmers who are recovering from drought to be able to afford to restock. That's one, one of the contexts for us. If we look at this in US dollars, in US dollars it's, almost, it's even more stark. There's a stockpile era. In US dollars the value of wool has risen by about 8% per annum. The value of the meat about 9%. The combination is nearly 9%. It's tripled. The, va the value of the average Australian sheep over the past 15 years has tripled. It's an extraordinary achievement. Our challenge, the challenge we face as an industry, and um, particularly as the, for AWI, as the major investor in wool R&D around the world, what do we need to do to, to continue those trends? It's a central challenge. So one of the things I want to flag for you is that um, a major challenge is that the number of female sheep, the adult ewes in Australia, will remain low. What this graph shows you is the relationship between the number of sheep we start the season with and the production of wool. And you can see, that goes back to 2001, it's what I call the common era. You can see a very strong relationship between the number of sheep we have in Australia and how much wool we produce. You can see the forecast for this year, but what I'll flag for you, the meat industry in Australia is forecasting in the next 15 years that we'll still only be around 80 million sheep and their forecasts are very bullish. So one of the things I flag with you is the challenge for us is that our stock numbers will remain low, partly because we like to eat, there's so much demand for sheep meat, if that makes sense. So if our sheep numbers are going to remain low, particularly the females, then our ability to grow the wealth of the industry like we'd like to depends almost entirely on our ability to grow the wealth that each single female sheep generates for us. So the number of lambs that she rears in her lifetime 
and her fleece value, especially her fleece weight. It's a great, it's a very simple challenge, but it's a very powerful challenge we have as an industry. So the, for us, um, as one of the oldest industries, we face some new challenges. That, as it turns out, some of the, the greatest challenges we have is teaching uh, existing farmers some new skills, but particularly making sure that new people coming onto our farms know what to do to achieve what they need to do. To pinch a concept from Craig Vanderhoff, who spoke yesterday so brilliantly, a lot of what we need to do is to make sure what matters is the performance of that lamb in its lifetime. Is it, a, is it going to rear five lambs in its lifetime or only one? Okay, as an industry, we need it to, to cut a great fleece, but also rear lots of lambs. There are a number of simple, positive things that we can do to achieve uh, these gains. Most of them are not radical technologies for farmers. It's weighing sheep, like Ben was showing. Scanning to see what, whether the females are carrying a twin or a single. There's a lot of small things that we need to do, practical practice changes that we can work on as an industry. A lot of them are not high technology science practices. They are simple, good stewardship. Because of this, and partly reflecting this, AWI invests very heavily in practice change. You heard yesterday Julie Davies speak about the trade education aspects of what we do, which are so critical. You also heard Emily King speak about the, the substantial investment in the grower education. Turns out 45% of the R research and development budget is invested in what we call extension or training. It's a very high number. The reason we do that is because it, you don't get the return on investment from your research investment unless somebody changes what they do. Our critical challenge over the next generation is to, to connect. We have to reach out and connect with that next generation of wool growers, the young growers that Em talked about, but also the kids in schools in cities. I mean, we have, I think Emily mentioned, we have 10,000 kids doing learn about wool. That's, I think that's just Australia. Two examples of what we do. Emily spoke about the National Merino Challenge which is a two-day national competition. It's been growing by about 25 or 30% per year. That's an, outst an outstanding development, but it's very much focused on the youth and we're wanting to recruit the best. Lifetime year management is another example for us. This is a course that we started investment in when I, in 2002, soon after I joined AWI, we started investing in the fundamental science now it is a major adoption program in Australia. We have funded about 2,200 growers through the course. Works out that they manage about 20% of the national sheep flock. People that graduate from that course tend to increase their weaning rate by between 7 and 10%. Their ewe mortality drops by about a third. It has a dramatic impact on their bottom line. It is one of the highest return on investment projects that we make. Okay, it's practical hands-on skill. 
The other thing I want to turn to now, and this is where it links directly with Clint's presentation, is to talk about our ageing farmer population. This is some data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. What it shows, in the, the light blue in the background, you can see the, the outline of the average, the population of the Australian workforce. That average is about 43 years of age. But what I'll show you now is that you can see the livestock farmers, mixed farmers and crop farmers. Livestock farmers on average in Australia, that's across beef and sheep as well, average about 63 years of age now. That's like a 20-year difference. That's a real challenge for us. Um, some points from the ABS uh, study. The farmers who are managing our properties by and large are couples. They're empty nesters. They're, the kids are no longer on the farm. The farmers work on average 49 hours a week. And for many of them it's hard to get away because they, are, they care for their stock like Will Roberts mentioned. And so they are wanting to make to be around. On average, they manage about $3.3 million worth of business assets. So they're serious businesses. In fact, their job title should be most, is probably most accurately Chief Executive Officer or Chief Operating Officer. But they don't pay themselves like that. But over the coming decades, from Deloitte's recent studies, a big cohort of these people will need to retire. This is going to lead to land transfers or asset transfers of about $400 billion worth of farms will need to be sold and have someone purchase them. Who will purchase them? Can the young generation actually afford to do it? It's going to lead to some real recruitment challenges for us as an industry. But certainly the way I'd flag it's Farming easier is becoming our greatest challenge. The people that are going to invest to buy a $3 million farm want to make sure that there's a return on investment. If they want to attract the best staff, they can't make them work 60 and 70 hours a week in order to do it. This is some work from John Young and Andrew Thompson, some modelling work. The data that I'm showing you is from the Great Southern, so that's in southeast and western Australia. Major crop and sheep belt in Australia. About 15% of our wool is produced in Western Australia and a big chunk of it in these types of farms. What that shows you is in for a lot of those farms, in the Midas model, they have a potential theoretical um, profit of about $400,000 a year. Typical, typical farm. But what actually is achieved by most farmers is much less. A lot of it's because they don't have enough staff, they have labour constraints. And I just wanted to point out that just simply increasing the number of hours that you work per day will not allow you to achieve your potential. And it's very unlikely that these next generation of young consumers, the Gen Ys, I think um, Craig uh, Vanderhoff talked about how they are just generally slack or they've turned slackness into an art form, these people. But it's one of our challenges. We have to actually make it attractive to them to want to invest their careers in these farms. So labour is a major constraint to profit. 
labour-saving devices are becoming critical and automation of our operations is becoming a real opportunity for us as an industry. You heard from Marcus Marjas yesterday, my colleague, the, the work that he's doing on smart ear tags. This is one of the frontiers that, um, as an industry, we will need to grapple and cross. There is a lot that this will do, not only for our ease of management the sheep, for the welfare of the animals, for alerting us to wild dog attacks, or theft, helping us to graze more intelligently, integrating with virtual fencing so we can control where the, the sheep graze. And we're only in our infancies here. The, the dairy industry globally is moving very quickly in this direction and we are partnering with them on the virtual fencing area. Ben Watts spoke yesterday um, about the use of drones. One of the themes that Ben had in his presentation was the importance of not so much being an IT geek, even though we know he is, but it's, it's about the practical applications, making sure it's profitable and sensible. So to wrap up, wool, vibrant productive and wool actually go together. We've built the foundations through our research, development and our marketing for some wonderful decades, but we have a lot more to do. Managing the demographics within our flock is critical, as I've mentioned, but particularly managing the demographics of our young, not only the young growers, but also the young ewes. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. IWTO will be in Harrogate, North Yorkshire for its 86th Annual Congress with another group of experts from industry and retail. To learn more about Wool or to join us at the Congress, visit the IWTO website at iwto.org or connect with IWTO on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. 